Hi, this is Dreamer with DeFi Kingdoms, a cross-chain fantasy RPG game with beautiful pixel art, tokenized resources, and hero NFTs where strategy trumps luck. I'm on the edge of NFT, the most fun strategy for keeping the tabs on all things Web3. Hi, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode to learn more about how to go from being a VP at Goldman Sachs to being a president of a gaming company. And how to thrive and learn from being on a reality TV competition. And finally, what led to Stoner Cat's company, including founders Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher, settling for $1 million with the SEC? And yes, it's official. You can now dive into the captivating world of artificial intelligence with the Edge of AI podcast. Join us as we explore the frontiers of AI and its impact on our lives. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Twitter at Edge of underscore AI and LinkedIn for exciting updates and insights. You can also visit our new website, edgeofai.xyz. Welcome to the Edge of NFT, the podcast created by Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of Web3 today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts of the business side and also the human element of how Web3 is changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Dreamer, the president of Kingdom Studios, which is the development team that brought you DeFi Kingdoms, the tokenized RPG game that came in on the top four of the hit reality show, The Next Crypto Gym. Prior to Web3, Dreamer was a vice president at Goldman Sachs, where he specialized in hedge funds and alternative investments and risk division. Dreamer's background is not only in banking, but also brings financial acumen and a unique strategic perspective that uniquely positions him as a leader in DeFi Kingdoms, where precision and visionary thinking are paramount. DeFi Kingdoms is an immersive fantasy RPG where you step into the role of a commander. Players can build their own legion of unique heroes, engage in an epic PvP duels to rise as a legendary champion, test their combat skills against mythical creatures in the combat testing grounds, and explore two distinct realms, and more to come, each with its own resources and objectives. Dreamer, great to have you. How are you doing today? Happy to be here. I'm doing pretty well. I just finished up Token 2049 in Singapore. It was a very good trip, but a long flight home. Yeah, absolutely. We just got back as well, a little earlier than you. Did you catch the F1? It was kind of just getting started. Last year was the same. I show up long week and I'm like, oh, I'm so excited to get home. And then you're kind of bummed you're leaving right when all the fun is getting started. So I didn't catch much of it. A lot of Singapore shuts down. You start hearing the time trials on Friday night, which is pretty cool, but did not get to go to the actual event. But I used to live in Singapore. So when I did... There was at least one of the years where I was able to attend. It's pretty fun. Yeah, definitely a good time. And it was great to run into you and sort of in Singapore. And I've been seeing you a lot lately. And you guys have been building quite a lot over the last few years. It's an honor to sort of have you on the show in this sort of official capacity, doing a full show together as opposed to like a short clip. I've been a fan of the game and player of the game since the early days. I definitely own my own suite of heroes and have just watched as you guys created this really engaging world that sort of, I would say, took Web3 by storm. A lot of the games before you guys weren't nearly as sophisticated. Now the bars are obviously been elevated since then, but 
thank you for sort of pioneering in this area. And I'd love to sort of start the interview by just asking you sort of what inspired you to create DeFi Kingdoms and how is it different than other fantasy RPG games, both Web 2 and Web 3? The initial inspiration came from two people. One is Frisky Fox and one is Pyface. They were old core workers and were talking about gaming and blockchain and thought, how cool would it be if there was like a Final Fantasy-like game where everything in the game used blockchain technology? How could we get started there? And hey, maybe we take a DEX and we make it game-like so that people can understand crypto better and start from there. From there, people were drawn to the idea, including myself. A lot of people on the team today came in at various times. And a lot of people that were there at the beginning have since moved on. So it's definitely been a combined effort from community development, art, music, business development, and so on. Over 100 people have contributed to DeFi Kingdom. So although I'm the president of the development company, through the ups and downs, have been working with many others to make decisions as a group. The game that you see today and the success and the troubles that we've worked through are definitely a result of a large number of people, which extends to the broad community. So that vision really came to life when we started to see an immediate response on a chain that nobody really knew of back then. People were figuring out how to bridge to a chain that they never thought they'd use just to get access to this new idea of gamification of DeFi and then not stopping there, starting to tokenize an RPG game, which if you've ever played MMORPG, you know that they're not simple. It's not like you're going to take a Maze Runner or another simple game and just convert it to Web3. You got to build it from the ground up. And one of the main characteristics of these types of games is the in-game economy. So you're farming for different items, you're using those items to craft weapons and potions, and your actual characters are getting stronger. All of this transfers so well with Web3 technology because they all hint ownership and exchange of ownership in one way. That's where the DeFi part came in. So making our own decks, making our own NFT marketplaces, and even more recently, a DEX that's more of an order book style to cover all the low liquidity items was imperative to create a foundation where the real game could be built. Yeah. I mean, you unpacked a lot just now. And, and something that really stuck out for me is the complexity of setting something like this up, right? To be able to set up the DeFi elements of an MMO is a tall task. But something else that I want to go back in for a second that was a tall task is the transition that you made from Wall Street over into gaming, right? Like that is two very distinct types of a career path. So what has been some of the surprising synergies between these seemingly desperate fields and how has it helped drive innovation at Kingdom Studios? Man, completely different lifestyle, completely different work environment. However, there's one thing that was pretty similar for me. I didn't come from a long line of people in banking. I grew up on Maui. I had a pretty simple education at public schools, paid for my own education at a school that maybe isn't really great on paper, but I worked hard to learn. And I started trading while I was in school, did some side education that, that's kind of like the Kaya. I don't know if you've heard of that, CFA and Kaya. They're kind of self-taking exams to progress your knowledge. Every step of the way, I was kind of a self-starter. I didn't have somebody holding my hand. I didn't have somebody that's done it for generations before. And I didn't have a network that gives you an easy in. Actually, it was the opposite. I decided early on, I wanted to work at Goldman Sachs because they came to my school one time and I'm like, best investment bank in the world? Yeah, sign me up. And when I showed up, they're kind of like, sorry, bro, you don't really fit the bill. You're not the guy that we usually 
higher. Although I came from a diverse environment, I didn't appear diverse. My education, I worked hard at, but on paper, it wasn't very impressive. I didn't know anybody there, didn't come from money. So I started as a temp and I was like, give me a data entry role. They gave me a contract for a year. And within two months, I had automated my position and the guy next to me, and they hired me on as an analyst. At that point, I went on to be the earliest associate in the risk division in terms of like how young or how long I was there. I was asked to go to Singapore to lead a group out there where I made vice president early on as well, and then sent back to Salt Lake City to cover additional prime services, futures clearing, and other products that started to expose me to crypto, actually. This is around Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is coming out, CME futures are coming out, and we needed that risk to be understood. I started to get really excited about that, the technology and kind of reporting on it with my team. And the feedback I got wasn't as positive. There wasn't a lot of appetite for risk-taking. It was more like staying relevant while being really cautious, which makes sense in a new industry, especially from a large bank like that. But I felt a little stifled. I felt like this was a space that had a lot of opportunity. And in my position, I wasn't really going to be able to explore it. So when you look at the transfer to Web3, a lot of the characteristics are the same. There is no path in this space. There is not generations of people that are going to tell you exactly how to do everything. You kind of have to figure it out on your own. You don't have the expertise. So you go out and you learn it from others that have it. And then you add on top of it. And you have to continue to push because in bull markets, people are pretty excited. They're pretty encouraging. In bear markets, people flee, they blame, they FUD, they get scared. If you don't have that tough skin, if you haven't kind of learned how to fight for what you want and make the dream that you have come true, a lot of people don't make it. And as we've been saying in this really extended bear market. Yeah, right on, man. I didn't know your whole story. Thanks for sharing all that with us. I think there's one word that comes to mind that sums it all up, which is grit, right? And I think grit is absolutely essential to any kind of emerging market like Web3 and leading the team that you lead over at DeFi Kingdom. So it's all clicking for me now. So I appreciate that context. Let's talk a little bit about sort of the gameplay and sort of explain it to folks that maybe haven't checked out DeFi Kingdoms yet, but might after this and get hooked. How does the game mechanisms work and sort of what goes into sort of building this legion of heroes? To build heroes, you're going to have to first learn where they come from. So differing from many other Web3 games or Web3 or crypto projects, we don't really go and sell anything. We don't make items, put a fixed price and then sell it. The gamers, the players, they actually have control over all of this. So if you have two heroes that have the ability to summon a new hero, not all do, you can put them together. And I think some of the earlier projects called this breeding. When we were developing DeFi Kingdoms, the thought was more around, you know, these are people. It's kind of weird to call it breeding. I think when you're talking about cats or something, crypto kitties make sense, but we use the word summoning. So you are actually summoning a new hero into the realm to fight adventure and so on. The cool thing is it pulls from genes... It pulls genes from both of the heroes that you're using. So you have two existing heroes. They come together, the visual genes, the stats underneath it, the classes that make up these heroes, they come together and you have kind of a random chance to mint 
or summon a new hero. That could be like a mythic that has high growth rates. It could be a rare class. It could be visually appealing in different ways or have unique abilities for combat that would be more rare. So this main feature has been the driving force for a lot of people in the game because the heroes are constantly getting new utility, new features. The game, even after two years, is only 15% done. We have a long roadmap, a lot of features to add, but the excitement of understanding how they're used. And then, for example, having two classes that when put together meant a more advanced class. When I first got my first ninja, I was like, dang it. And you go and tweet it and you're like, hey, I mutated my first ninja. People get really excited. So that's kind of the core of the early stage of gamers was more kind of the random could potentially get a rare hero, a strong hero. And then you have to start leveling them up. So you go questing, fishing, foraging, mining, gardening. You play the mini games, which is kind of like a card game that you play war, where you kind of turn over your cards and it randomly selects a stat and quite simple, but some strategy there is we're building the game. We have seasons where rewards are actually unlocked real time during the season, which is a unique innovation that other games haven't really put in yet, where the rewards are sitting on the blockchain. And as you kind of climb the rank, you automatically are given items that are real items, carry real value that are tradable, or you can use them to continue to level up your hero. So as a commander of your heroes, your goal is really to collect and level up your heroes and then make choices on how to use them because you can't use them all at once, right? More recently, we have a really cool feature coming out. It's the first PVE feature. We've been developing a combat system. You know, everything I set up to now is more like gamified finance DeFi or like the early stages, establishing your heroes prior to gameplay. But from here on out, we're very focused on gameplay. So for about eight months now, we've been developing a combat system where your heroes come to life and all of their abilities in those in the NFT metadata gets live. And now you start making decisions to fight things. We've been practicing this in the testing grounds, but soon enough, we'll have our first player versus environment PVE hunt where you'll go out and be hunting monsters within the realms, which is really exciting. There's a couple of pieces that I won't share just yet, but it's related to the type of rewards that you'll get from it. It's very consistent with the gameplay you get from traditional MMORPGs. So if you think combat, turn-based, role-playing, managing resources, leveling up your heroes, and having the excitement of growing your legion, with hopefully more legendary, mythic, and rare heroes. That is where we are at now. That's incredible. And you spoke to the excitement around this. You keep adding more and more different gaming elements and content pieces that has thus garnered a very passionate player community. And you keep getting feedback from them to create more and more of these really cool things that they can do in the game to keep coming back for more. And so much so that... Yeah, you know, it had a pretty significant impact on the next gym crypto show. So can you like give us some of the key strategies and insights that set your product apart from other competition that was on the next crypto gym? Sure. So the next crypto gem is a show that's kind of being pre-screened right now, but I'm guessing by the time this airs, it will have just hit the inside TV distribution, which I believe is over 300 million homes worldwide and a number of streaming services. So people should definitely go check that out. It has judges that many might know. Brian Evans, who's a major investor in the space, an extra focus on Web3 gaming, 
Leah Helpern, who's a public figure with a number of views, many of which are related to crypto and Bitcoin. Very interesting person and a very, very smart woman. And then George, I am George, Cryptos are us. Many people in crypto today are there because of his videos. So three awesome judges that looked at a number of submissions. I think there were 16 that made like the semi-finalists and then the final four, the Viking Kingdoms was one of. So the show is about seven episodes. It's really the first foray into educating the broad public in a way where you see people in the space kind of get humanized. And yeah, we're competing, we're doing challenges. It's meant to be entertaining, but the primary goal really is awareness, trying to tap into the traditional non-Web3 market that might only see headlines or only think that crypto is about currency or about gambling or something else, or see all the bad stuff that comes out and think that everybody in crypto is bad. So the primary goal is to break those barriers down to hopefully teach a little bit about the space and then show real people that have committed their lives and dedicated themselves to build out the technology. So you could think about it kind of like a apprentice meets the voice meets Shark Tank or so, where there are challenges, there is a reward, there is some pretty grueling judging, and hopefully it's a little bit fun. Man, it looks like it. And yeah, George is one of the guys that I followed early on back in 2017, 18. He's been a grinder, just like continuing to create content. I have a lot of respect for George. Definitely inspired us to sort of one of the many inspirations for us in terms of doing our show. And I think we're past episode 300 now. So a lot of content as well. And very passionate about sort of educating the masses, so to speak, and creating snackable content that resonates with the broader market. So I love what this show is all about. What do you think it was about DeFi Kingdoms that sort of stood out to the judges and the viewers? Sure. So on the show of the four finalists, three of them are games, actually. And one of them is more of like a meme coin, but a really interesting story as it launched in the bear market and was really around a community. So even though there are three games, we're all quite different. One of which is very much focused on maximizing the game portion and integrating blockchain technology without it being forefront, without it being in your face. So it's a strategy to really promote mass adoption in the space. And they really brought some interesting things to the show that I personally learned. For me, it was a great learning experience because it was like free consulting. We had all these incredible people judging us. I had competition in the space where I'm looking, you know, what they might be doing differently. That was one focus. And I realized, you know, we haven't been as focused on breaking down those barriers to entry. We're DeFi kingdoms. We're in your face, Web3 gaming, right? So that was an interesting, like polarized approach. Another one is kind of doing a lot of everything. DeFi kingdoms has their own chain, DFK chain. It's powered by Avalanche subnet. We were their first subnet. We've done over 500 million transactions on that subnet, which is essentially its own blockchain. So one of the other games, they have their own chain as well, but they have a lot of maybe a little bit simpler games. And they're really trying to create a franchise of games in the space, following trends that have been popular before. Where DeFi Kingdoms, it's not the simplified blockchain technology in the background, easy to get in and maybe easy to play right away kind of game. It, it takes a lot to onboard. And it's definitely not a do a little bit of every type of game. We have a very specific brand and we have a long roadmap to build this really detailed game. So I think the judges 
liked that, liked that it was more complicated. They liked that it's like multifaceted. We've been around for two years and a little controversial, you know, launching in the bear or in the bull market and then having everything crash in the world and figuring out a way to survive with the Harmony Bridge hack and so on. I think that also adds an interesting narrative, but our team's ability to deliver a product that's powered by hundreds of smart contracts on two different chains over two years, I think was one of the reasons that they felt confident that we should be in the top four. Yeah. And like you said, I think it's something really cool to see that three out of the four finalists were in gaming. It speaks to why people like the story that a game can bring and can bring out so much creativeness out of so many different facets. And what you just described and what setting apart DeFi kingdoms, I think holds true. And I think is another reason why people are as passionate as they are about DeFi kingdoms. But going through that journey, the competition was very fierce. And I'm sure you had to go through a lot. What do you think were some of those like key lessons that you had to discover about DeFi kingdoms that you were able to take and keep growing? Yeah. Well, I think first to discover about myself, it's hard to perform when cameras are pointed at you. I tell you what, man, it's not fun. You get out there and you think it's going to be kind of like one camera or two. There's like eight different cameras. There's a director yelling at everybody. A loud airplane flies over and he screams, cut. And Kirsten is like, oh, we've got to do it again. It's like, wait, this isn't scripted. What do you mean do it again? It's like, well, we got to do it again. Sorry. The thought process and being able to just be normal was hard. And when you add challenges to it, where the whole point is to kind of make you squirm, make it hard, make it maybe a little bit embarrassing. A lot's on the line. Your community's watching you, your family's watching you. So performing as a professional normally is totally different than doing it under camera. Super interesting, pretty hard. Also, they asked us to do a lot of things that they clearly knew we don't do. So a lot of established projects or teams or companies, you have departments that focus on things. There are some challenges that were focused on like marketing or teaching or creating content with tools that I haven't used since I was in college. So pretty interesting show. You can see me and others squirm a little bit, but when it all comes down to it, it's entertainment. The goal was to entertain and to educate. And I feel like we did that very well. It's exciting as well. We all care a lot about it. You'll see some emotions come out with some and you'll see the competition does get fierce because everybody was kind of good at different things. There is one team on there that's very good at marketing and putting their name out there and being on camera. One of the contestants actually was on the real world back in the day. It's got like 3 million subscribers on YouTube. This is Scott Herman and he's awesome. Me and him hit it off right away. And we're kind of besties now been going back and forth on Twitter, but that's a little bit about the competition, what, what it was made up of, how it was both enjoyable and really nerve wracking and tested kind of my ability to just like perform on camera, let alone do things I haven't done for a while. Nice. I got to say, I think that practices help. This has been a pretty smooth interview so far. We'll try to get you off your seat with edge quick hitters in a minute. But meanwhile, just one last question, Dreamer. Is there anything kind of looking ahead in terms of development on the project partnerships that you got cooking that continuing to push boundaries that we should cover? Yeah. So I mentioned that one of the games was very focused on lowering the barriers to entry. That's Wagme Games. They have a really awesome product that folks should check out. It's kind of a tower defense game. You can pull it up on your phone. You don't even realize your wallet's being created and you're in and you're playing. So with DeFi Kingdoms, we have a lot of depth and gameplay, but there's a lot of hoops you got to jump through. So leaving the show, one of the takeaways was, man, we got to focus on making it easier to get in. 
We have a recent partnership with Halliday where one of their services is around wallet creation. So essentially now when you hop into DeFi kingdoms, before you had to connect your wallet and go through all these steps and figure things out. Now we have a like catered tutorial per area of the game that you're in. Once you're in a simple three-step process, I think, and you have a wallet created for you in the background without seed phrases or anything. And this is all made possible with working through the technology with our partners at Halliday. They're even looking at ways right now to make the on-ramp a little bit easier. We're working with a number of on-ramps globally. Halliday has their own. That's a way that you can get your money from real money onto the blockchain without necessarily going through centralized exchanges. That'll be huge for gaming. Imagine, you know, looking at a hero that somebody else is selling and it says, hey, pay with crypto or use your credit card. We're weeks away from that. So a lot of barriers to entry have been broken down with that partnership. The other features we have coming, you know, I mentioned that PVE feature, that's only the tip of the iceberg. The combat system that we've created that is continuing to be built out, it can be applied in many ways. The first is this like hunt approach where you're going around the map and hunting enemies to get resources and other things that I won't go into too much detail. But other is like getting together and fighting a boss, potential dungeons, player versus player tournaments, where you'll have to strategically look at your heroes and the, the opponents and maybe in a bracketed style tournament where it's kind of avalanche versus Clayton or guilds forming within each realm to compete against each other. You could have qualifiers for these tournaments and say, it's only those with like fishing skill above 10 or only priests fighting each other or anything that we want that's happening in the world, we can make it fun with that player versus player environment. Then the final step that kind of unlocks everything is travel. And that's where the commander aspect comes in, where you're looking at the map today, your heroes kind of exist everywhere and nowhere. You want to just go quest, your heroes go on quest. You can see them moving, but they're not anywhere specifically on the map. But when we take like the questing for resources, fighting creatures in PvE, and fighting each other in PvP, and start giving them actual locations where the commander will have to choose, if my hero goes here to go fish this fishing hole that has a higher yield than normal because the fish are biting, I can't be down here and compete in this championship. And I can't be up here and fight this boss. So now choice is introduced and you're spending stamina of the heroes as a commander to decide what you want to be doing. That's where the Legion comes in. You can't just have one hero and do everything at once. People are going to be amassing hundreds of heroes. So where we are currently is combat system and development, DeFi foundation established. We're going to apply that in PVE, find other ways to apply it, and then grow it into more of a full game experience where that commander feeling really comes to life. Exciting stuff, man. I can't wait for the combat component. My first game I got hooked on was Mortal Kombat. So no pressure there. (laughs) It'll be fun. So look, you've had all this media training now. So I think you're officially ready for Edge Quick Hitters. This is a fun, quick way to get to know you better. There are 10 questions. We're looking for just a short, single or few word response, but feel free to expand if you get the urge. You up for it? I'm up for it. I tend to talk too much though. So I would try to keep it to a few words, but if I go on, I don't know, you might need a gong or a buzzer or something. We'll have to talk to our producer about that. That's a good suggestion. Speaking of real time <laughs> feedback. All right. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? A Green Day cassette album. Dookie. I was very young. Green Day cassette album. Nice. Nice. I was a Green Day fan as well. What's the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? 
first thing I remember ever sewing. Oh man. When I was young, I kind of moved around a bit before I made it back with my mom in Maui and not a positive memory, but in fourth grade, I uprooted my whole life and couldn't take much. And what I couldn't take was did my best to sell. So sold a lot. I don't know which item it was, but it's pretty much everything. Yeah. Well, learning from an early age, man. Sorry. It wasn't best memory, but you know, I'm sure it gave you some good skills for the future. Yeah, um, for sure. I grew up with my mom mainly on Maui, but there's a transition period where I was in Utah for a couple of years and with siblings and with my father. So it's not a horrible memory, but it's kind of a lot of transition, but things smoothed out, have a good family, strong relationships there. But I think the things that were sold is kind of a reset, got rid of everything. Yeah, yeah. And just think like now people like pay consultants to come in and help them become a minimalist like that. It's like a sought after lifestyle now. I think as a child, you want toys, you want things, you're not focused on being a minimalist, but it makes you enjoy what's around you. So like resetting back on Maui, you start surfing and boogie boarding and doing things in the ocean rather than playing with toys. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm just thinking like philosophy is not the friend of, of any child and their favorite toys for sure. You have questions about blockchain? Like how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or have you received that chain letter? How did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued or deep fried? <laughs> Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. <laughs> Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. Yeah. <laughs> what was the most recent thing you purchased? Most recent thing I purchased? I ordered the new iPhone 15, regrettably. I saw this meme where... I don't even know if there's a meme where they put it out there, but it had the 14 and the 15 next to each other. And it was like 172 grams or whatever. And it was like new ones, 171. And I'm like... I don't know if they meant to do that, but it's not very impressive, but I take a lot of pictures. Whenever I don't buy the new phone, a month into it, my current one doesn't work. And I'm like, oh, I regret it. And then I'm like three months late. So yeah, I'm sure I'll get some hate for going from 14, whatever it was last year's phone to this year's phone, but that's the most recent purchase. For sure. You have to let me know what you think about it. What's the most recent thing you sold? My skydiving rig, actually, my older one. So before I relocated back to Hawaii last year, I was getting rid of a lot of stuff. And I had another rig and an old parachute. And when you're skydiving, you kind of start big. So you fall slower and you lower likelihood to break your legs when you're landing. And then as you get better, you downsize, you get smaller parachutes. So I had to sell like older parachute stuff. I'm just going to say, I don't know if I would buy a used skydiving rig or used parachute. I think the risk management um, <laughs> side of me would be giving that a second thought. I'm with you on there. I do buy new stuff, but it's not always a good thing. Like it's crispy. It's really hard to pack. 
it's all slippery and everything. The used stuff is like a sweet spot where it's broken in and it's reliable, but it's not like super old. Also, the stuff's expensive. And when you're changing it once or twice a year, buying a $2,000 parachute every single time, it's a lot harder than to see one that's maybe a, li- a bit old, but you can get it for 800 bucks and jump it for 50 jumps. Fingers crossed and it happens. And then you move on to your next. Just People kind of make their decisions. But I'm with you. I tend to get the newer stuff and not worry about malfunctions. Just stress test Dreamer's parachute before going too high, guys. All right. What is your most prized possession? Probably one of my surfboards. I have too many of them, but I'll just say surfboard because like your board is more than just like, I don't know, a possession. It kind of transforms your mindset. You kind of get an escape and then you get to like interact with the ocean in a way that is really comparable. You know, I go snowboarding or skating and do things that are very predictable. Surfing is never predictable and it's never easy. And I think my surfboard, even as a kid, has always been something that allowed me to kind of escape a little bit, have fun, be challenged. So not one specific board because they break, they get old. I guess I'm not attached to too many like specific things, but I think in my garage right now, I probably have like 12 that I've accumulated in the last year since coming back. Maybe a little bit of a problem. Got it. You are a board hoarder noted. Well, you can use them for different things. They don't all just sit there and look pretty. Like any given day you, you look in your quiver, you can use it for something different. Yeah. You can play, I don't know. You play games on them. You can like use them. <laughs> Put things on them. I hear whatever you need to have to have plausible deniability is fine by me. I'm sure there's some really nice boards. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical services experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? Oh, man. If I was in the financial position to, I would buy a brand new diamond DA, I think it's 50, the DA 50 airplane. So my COVID thing was to figure out how to fly planes. In Utah, that was a lot easier. And I actually bought my first plane. It was an old DA-40, I think 20 years old, had tons of hours on it. But they have new planes that are just incredible. And living in the islands, it'd be really cool to have a reliable, nice plane that you can fly around maybe one day. We'll see. I'm on the website now. Diamond. Yeah, it's a beautiful plane. It's got like the, instead of the yoke, it's got like the stick and rudder. So you feel like a fighter pilot, but you're not. It doesn't go that fast. It's just really pretty glass cockpit. So I don't know if you've seen Maverick or others, but it makes you kind of feel (laughs) like you're in that kind of plane. But it also, you know, flying is really cool for those that haven't tried it. It isn't as hard to get into as it might seem. And you don't have to like become a commercial pilot. People are doing van life. Imagine doing plane life where you can just wake up and fly a couple hours at a time, land in an airport and explore a new place. There will be a time in my life when I do plane life. That sounds pretty awesome. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? I think self-belief is really big. Oftentimes, my mom has been in my corner and has always believed in me, but I was always kind of different in school. There wasn't a whole lot of white kids at the school that I went to. A lot of violence, not like guns and knives, but just a lot of fistfights, a lot of confusion with like difference in culture where kind of different forms of judgment, racism come out. So I think moving there to college where I didn't really have that background to banking where I really didn't fit in to going to Asia where it was really hard to be accepted. I also spent two years in Korea to figure out how to learn Korean, like on the streets without anybody really teaching me as a young kid right out of high school. It's important to believe in yourself. It was mentioned here, grit. 
Because if you believe in yourself, you don't really rely on anybody else to get you there. Everybody else just becomes like teachers, influence or helpers. But at the end of the day, none of their opinion matters for you to like survive and succeed. No, for sure. I think that's a good one. But now we're going to talk about the other side of it, right? If you could eliminate one of your personality traits for the next generation, what would it be? I'm not the most patient human. I remember when I was young, I was listening to a talk and the guy was complaining. He was much older than me. And he was like, we're living in a microwave generation. Everybody, what they want now, and they don't necessarily want to work for it or understand where it comes from. And I've tried to like internalize that throughout my life and be like, be patient. My impatience isn't like a whiny child. It's like, I want it now. It's more like some things take time and learning new hobbies or learning a new field or the bear market being way longer than all of us want. Sometimes impatience comes out in hard work, which is what I try to focus on. And sometimes it comes out in kind of becoming almost obsessed and that hard work can consume your life. So I have to constantly make sure that the patience doesn't ever affect me emotionally, which I feel like I do a good job at. But if I could remove that trait where I didn't have to try so much on being patient, that would be great. That makes a lot of sense. And definitely it's a double-edged sword, right? Because that impatience is what sort of kept you innovating over this time period. But we'll get there. There'll be a bull market sooner than later. We don't know when, but it's coming. So what did you do just before joining us on the podcast? Just before joining? Well, I mean, days before I just flew back. I think I mentioned that. I woke up because the time zone is a little bit different. I was going to go surf this morning, but it was very windy. So I went out and took care of my yard. You know, there's a lot of flowers, trees and things outside. And I like to cultivate the land and try to take care of this really unique opportunity to have a home. Cool. On my flight back, I was watching that Netflix documentary on longevity and they said gardening is a path to longevity. So you're on the right track there. What are you going to do next after the podcast? Work. A lot of work to catch up on. So last week, a lot of incredible connections. There was an event for the next Crypto Gem that was really exciting. Planning for an event coming up that'll probably have passed by the time this airs, but that's Cypherpunk put on by Crypto's RS, where we're going to be announcing some pretty cool things from Kingdom Studios. Also planning to meet some of the teams on the show because collaboration's everything. And one thing that I've always really preached and the founder of DFK, uh, Frisky Fox, has a similar mindset is Web3 gaming, in order for it to really succeed, it's not only about making individual games that are competitive with Web2 games, because there's a lot of things we can't compete in yet, but it's adding the value of Web3, which isn't just ownership, it's interoperability. So being able for players to be able to move between games with their assets and have their assets do the same assets, do things in different games. That's really important. So having a couple of those calls today, catching up with the team and yeah, continuing the build. Awesome. Nice. I think we have a um, bonus question, Richard. We do. I'd uh-huh. like to wrap up with one final bonus question. And this one is, you brought up that you're in this extreme sports like skydiving. What's the most epic dive that you did and how did it impact you? Epic. Should we define epic as like thrilling and scary or fun? Either. Either. Okay, well, I'll do the first. So my 34th jump, I'm a new jumper. You get your license at about 25 jumps. 34th jump. It's something called tracking where you actually use your body shape to move like horizontally. You're kind of like flying like Superman. You start going really fast. And before you deploy, you need to slow down. You get really big like a starfish and you you grab the air. So you slow down because you can go anywhere from like 100 to over 200 miles an hour, depending on like the shape of your body and, and the orientation. Well, when I pitched or throughout the 
the small little parachute that pulls out the bigger parachute, I was going way too fast. I was new, didn't have good positioning and it ripped out that parachute. You're supposed to slow down from hundreds plus miles an hour to zero over about five seconds. It was immediate. That thing opened up, slammed open. I was like half unconscious and I was spinning. It's called the death spiral. Part of the lines were all in a big knot and the other part weren't. So it kind of made it so that I was going down fast. So they teach you in school, in ground school, after a certain altitude, if you can't land your parachute, you cut it away and there's a, not, a brand new nice one packed by a professional that pops out. It's a pretty scary thing as a new jumper to be like, all right, I'm going to cut away this parachute. So I had to do that. I kept trying for like, I don't know, 30 seconds. I shouldn't have even tried to undo the knot as I'm like half concussed. And eventually, you know, I went and popped it out. I was flinging through the air and boom, nice new parachute popped out and I landed it safe and sound. But when I landed, you know, all the instructors came up and their eyes were all big. They're like, well, you know, what happened? Are you okay? And I'm like, I don't know. I did what you guys told me. And yeah, walked away from it. They actually made me jump one more time that day. So I didn't go home and just like never come back, which is good. because I went on to have, you know, over 500 jumps, but that was definitely the most like scary, thrilling one. A shorter answer, funnest jump. I think when I was in Singapore, I would hop over to Thailand. There's a really cool drop zone in right out of Pattaya called Shiracha. And you jump out. It's just like green for as far as you can see. You can see the ocean. You jump through clouds, which really you're not supposed to do, but it's kind of the wild, wild west out there. And when you land, there's all these like wild dogs that come up and you kind of get on a moped with the dogs and just the experience. You can't really compare it anywhere else that I've been so far. That's pretty awesome. I've uh, skydived exactly once and I think that was enough for me. So kudos to you, man. <laughs> Yeah. That's kind of what people get. It's like, they either love it and they're like, I'm addicted. I want to learn the sport because there's a lot of sports in skydiving or they're like, that was cool. I never need to do it again. Yeah. I would say fun and scary go hand in hand for me, but probably a hard pass. So kudos to you, man. So this has been a great conversation. We want to sort of jump to our third segment, Hot Topics where there's definitely some stuff going on in the news that's worth sort of discussing. One of those things is donor cats. They have gotten smoked. This past week, the SEC announced charges against donor cats for an unregistered securities offering. Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher, Soren Cats NFT project collected $8.2 million in mint fees in 2021, promising holders an animated Web3 series with actors such as Seth MacFarlane, Jane Fonda, and Chris Rock. So just a little bit of context here, part of the SEC's case includes screenshots from their Twitter and Discord, promising financial rewards for purchasing, encouraging people to sweep the floor, and other statements the SEC used to allege that they strongly suggested a return on investment. So that's some of the context that I think wasn't covered in the news that sort of gives some sense of of why this project got picked up by the SEC. Obviously, there was some real utility there in terms of the focus, but there was sort of this behind the scenes discussion of sort of additional value that folks would get in terms of selling their NFTs. So big news. Any reaction, guys? It's definitely unprecedented with the way it's going down. But I think DeFi Kingdoms, we've really tried to focus on avoiding selling tokens or any type of NFTs at like a fixed price. Majority of all of the assets that make their way in the DeFi ecosystem are ones that the players actually mint themselves. 
So I have to learn more about stoner cats and how it was all offered. But that's something as a risk manager working with our lawyers at Ashbury Legal from day one, we've been like going out and saying, we will sell X at Y price is a big no-no. We want to avoid that for this type of thing in the future. Instead, players will play, they'll do things in the game, and we would reward people with gen zero heroes that have unlimited summoning potential and they create that initial supply and then the users set the price it's all based on the game token that's variable and the value of that token really indicates the price of the heroes so i think that we've been looking around corners to avoid things like this i guess yet to be seen if that is enough or if we'll have to continue to adjust which we're willing to do with the regulatory landscape i'm sure as more things come out all of us will have to be like, okay, didn't know that was going to be the focus. Let's shift and pivot and make sure we're we're following the evolution of that regulation. Yeah, I think this is going to continue to evolve, and I don't think this will be the last NFT project that the SEC goes after. I think as more things have been coming up, it usually revolves around companies that launched around the height of 2021, right? Where things were getting minted out, lots of money were made, celebrities came in, said said and did whatever without really knowing the full ramifications of what that meant. And I think they're also going after people of influence that potentially could have influenced people to come and purchase or mint an NFT. But as not great as this is, by the SEC coming out and doing these sorts of things, it's setting precedents, which then means that there's going to be clear guidelines on how to do things into the future. And that's what the industry needs in order for us to continue to grow and evolve and be able to move faster and move forward. So not great that they're basically settled for a million dollars, but for all of them, million dollars, they'll, they'll live. But also, again, I think this is continue to make things a lot clearer on what the SEC is saying is okay and what isn't okay, and is going to continue to help move things forward. Yeah. So there was a settlement. Neither part or Stonecast did not admit guilt. I think for me, this one is a tweener in terms of how far over the line they crossed relative to other projects in the space. There were two dissenting opinions here. I'd love to see that regulatory clarity come down, as you mentioned, Richard. I also think that folks should be really cautious when they're launching a project in terms of what they communicate on Discord and and elsewhere and sort of stick to sort of the pure utility of the projects and focus on that as a company. That's really what creates long-term value. So one more hot topic, which is close to home, all the travel to Asia wasn't enough. So we'll be heading to the Future Blockchain Summit, which is the Middle East and North Africa region's most immersive large-scale blockchain event, which is going to Dubai Harbor the 15th through the 18th of October. And it has all sorts of new concepts that they're emboldening towards supporting disruptors and change makers across Web3, blockchain, crypto, NFTs, metaverse, gaming, you name it. This is a four-day event that will have countless networking opportunities, all sorts of really fascinating speakers, and even a supernova challenge for growth funding and investors program forum. So really exciting. These guys have put a lot of thought and work into this event. So I appreciate that effort. I'm excited to head over to Dubai. I know Richard and I have been talking about how there's a lot going on over there. Dreamer, have you been over to Dubai yet? No, I have not. I think a year and a half ago, I was at the Avalanche Summit in Barcelona and ETH Dubai was the following weekend. That was like the same week that all of the 
like unrest was unraveling in that region. And we made a decision not to go at that time, but never been. I would love to go. All right. It's not too late to join me in Dubai. So think about it. Meanwhile, guys, if you want to check out this event or you're close to that region, go visit futureblockchainsummit.com and learn more and hope to see you over there in just about a month. All right. Well, this has been great, man. So nice to have you on a proper show. As I mentioned before, there's a lot that we were able to cover. Where can listeners go to learn more about you and DeFi Kingdoms? Sure. Well, first, DeFi Kingdoms, we have a great website that is an informational website prior to getting in the game. That's defikingdoms.com. You can check us out on Twitter. You know, no spaces or dots. I think it's just at DeFi Kingdoms. My personal Twitter is DreamerDFK. DFK is short for DeFi Kingdoms. And Instagram is Dreamer.DFK if you want to check those out. The website will direct you not only to what we are, who we are, but how to get in the community, which was mentioned a few times, Project Use Discord. We have a great community, really active Discord, good moderators, and awesome like community onboarding experience. So DeFiKingdoms.com, check us out, learn more, hop in, give us your feedback, get along for the ride of the build of the overall project where every month or so, and sometimes multiple times in a month, we're coming out with new features. And every week we're reporting back to the community in a press conference style AMA. I love it, man. And speaking of co-creation, I think we've dreamed up a fun little giveaway together of some heroes that can be minted or, or maybe some eggs or whatnot. So appreciate that. We'll share more details on our socials together in the near future. So appreciate your generosity there. Sure. Okay, we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on the Starship, so invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers. They'll make this journey also much better. How? Go to iTunes or Spotify right now, rate us, and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Look for us on all major social platforms by typing edge of NFT with no spaces. Start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on Edge of NFT reflect solely those views and opinions of the show hosts and its guests. Please make sure to do your own research. Our show is not financial advice. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk. Whenever making financial decisions, we recommend doing your own research and talking to your accountant for financial advice. From time to time, we may feature sponsored content on the show for which we receive value, and we may share links for which we receive a commission if you make a purchase through one of those links. Refer to our website, www.edgeofnft.com, for our full disclaimer, terms and conditions, and privacy policy.